Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales letter looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast. This is Darren Mitchell and uh, another great guest coming all the way from Miami. And it's uh, what I think he said it was a balmy 75 degrees Fahrenheit in uh, in in Miami right now. Mr. Tom Kayser, how are you? I've got to make I'm sure. I'm very good, that. thank you. Now, did I pronounce your surname okay? Is it Kayser or Kaiser? Kaiser. Kaiser. <laughs> I'll just call you Tom. <laughs> Tom, great, great to have you on the show. Um, you're a you're a business veteran. You're the president currently of C Vista Management LLC, but also have spent many years in executive roles in the insurance um, industry across Zurich Financial Services, which most people would have would have heard being a large global enterprise, but also Arch Insurance Group. So, very much looking forward to this conversation as we delve into um, sales, sales leadership, and how do we can align everybody within an organization to make sure we're moving in the right direction. So before we jump into, I guess, the, the topics of conversation, I'd love for you for the audience just to give us a little bit of a background on you and and what has led you to now be focused on what you do today around sales, sales leadership and marketing. Yeah. Well, my, my background is uh, I, I, I started in the uh, business as a as a basic salesperson and uh, became a field sales manager, a regional sales manager. Then I moved right into senior management. And uh, so I had a lot of sales background before I got into the senior management. And then I realized that I could really be successful as a senior manager if I got everybody focused on the same goal, got them aligned, and convince them that selling is not something that just the salespeople do, it's something everyone has to do. Yeah. And so I've been working with Robert Hargrove, who uh, runs a, a group called Masterful Coaching. And I mentioned that we, we wrote this book, The Great Wheel of Sales Success, which we've renamed The Revenue Engine uh, about five or six years ago. And we just, in brainstorming, came up with that uh, one of the missing elements especially in companies with 10 million or more in sales, mm. growing, they've added people, they've uh, found that they get uh, in silos many times, people don't talk to each other. They've got this organizational developing, but they're not increasing their revenue as they thought they could. Mm. And if we found that if we focus on getting all those people aligned to the sales message, and we try to make it simple, we say, get and keep customers at a profit. That's what mm. we do. And if everybody can buy into that, if they're trained to look for those goals, uh, you can actually increase your revenue without increasing your expenses mm. because you've got an army now focused on it instead of just a division. Yeah. Yeah. And as you're talking there, I'm thinking to myself, yep, if, if senior executives are listening to this right now, they're saying, yep, that's that's absolutely what my focus is, and that's exactly what we think we do. In your experience, um, what are some of the what are some of the challenges to bring alignment together? Because I know most, if not all, executives will say, hey, the only way that we can be sustainably successful and long-term profitable is to get everybody on the same page, focus on the one direction, and geared around how do we provide service to a customer. 
But then you've got all this internal bickering and this internal silo mentality that's developed where individual KPIs. So from a concept of alignment, and we'll go through some of the steps that you found that works to do that. But It starts with the hiring process. Yeah. And, and, and it starts with in an interview to making sure that everybody accepts that there is a role for them in the marketing and sales process. Yeah. And that they don't see sales as uh, a used car salesman or, uh, <laughs> as, or something negative, that they see it as a positive thing that they can influence. Yeah. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, I would ask anybody running a company if their CFO has a relationship with the CFO of their largest customer. Mm. And if they don't, there's something wrong there because that's how you can sell in a position where you're not in the sales department. That's it. That's it. Um, and that's logical, but often these people in these senior positions are so busy working on their own business, they lose sight of the fact that they only have a business because customers are wanting to pay them. Then you have to train them. If you hire the right people, you got to train them. There's got to be a message that is constantly reinforced. Yeah. It's not a mess. It's not a message you could just say once and walk away from. And, well, the other and, challenge with that, of course, is, and I've had this experience as well, you've got uh, a sales team that tries to organize and facilitate executive relationships, business to business relationships. Um, and if you don't provide appropriate uh, training, coaching, mentoring, but also directions in terms of key messages and what, what to avoid, some of these senior executives can go off on a tangent and completely undo a lot of the work that's already been done. So I can kind of understand how some sales leaders, uh, chief revenue officers, for example, are quite reticent to have too many senior executives into their account just in case they undo a lot of the great work they've done. Well, yeah, there's always that apprehensive. But but if you are aligned, yeah. if you are collaborating, if you're talking to each other, yeah. uh, a lot of that stuff is mitigated. Yeah. And and the strength really comes in you're building multiple relationships mm. within that uh, that customer base. Yeah. And let's face it, relationship is what uh, has the staying power. It people buy from people they like, and they build relationships with people they like. They do. They do. And, and so, if you touch that organization in, in many, many more directions than just one, mm. and you know, in most complicated sales, there's more than one buyer. Mm. There's lots of people influence the sale. Yeah. And you want to you want to ferret those out. You want to have a relationship with those people. Yeah. Yeah. So from your experience, Tom, um, what are some examples of organizations? Because I'd like to explore organizations that do this really well right now but also some organizations that perhaps don't do it so well. So we can pick out some of the key principles that we can, we can implement. Well, I've, I've, as an example, I'll draw from my insurance background, factory yeah. mutual probably is one of the best companies at this, that I know they sell directly to their customers, uh, which is different in the insurance business. And uh, they have an account executive who is the key contact they have an engineer that works with plant managers and the uh, the people who are actually running the facilities they're going to insure. Mm -hmm. They have an underwriter that understands the risk, sets the prices to transfer the risk. And these people all work as a team and they keep those teams together. They don't split yep. them up. And then what they do is they form advisory boards of the CFOs, which are really the ultimate buyers of these products, and the advisory boards meet quarterly 
and they build tremendous uh, tremendous uh, uh, rapport and staying power with these customers through these advisory boards. In fact, they're so strong that if a person leaves one of the one of their customers leave, they usually recommend it uh, to the new company. So these are these are advisory boards that are made up of the insurance company plus the customers organization. And who sits on that? Is it the CFO and the senior executives, or it's usually the treasurer or CFO because okay. they're the they're the ultimate buyers of uh, these insurance products. Yeah. But this example, I mean, it, it depends on who is the, the ultimate buyer of the product that you're talking about. Yeah. And having having them involved uh, beyond that sale is what you're trying to achieve mm. and to build that relationship stronger and uh, on more levels than just the one level or the one product. Yeah. Yeah. And with that advisory board, and we'll talk about the ones that don't do it so well in a second, but the ones, the ones that do set up these advisory boards and have the staying power and I guess the discipline to continue to prioritize that. What do you notice about their relationships, but also the revenue that is generated through that, um, through that ecosystem or environment being created? Well, because you're developing the relationship, you're selling more product. And most companies have more than one product to sell. Hmm. Uh, you're being a trusted uh, provider as a trusted provider, you're going to get the opportunities for more. Yeah. You're going to get testimonials because they're going to tell other people. And uh, they're not shy. You can ask them and they'll say, oh, fine. I'll, yeah, I know Joe over at XYZ Company. I'll give them a call and yeah. tell them that we, we buy from you. Yeah. Uh, and you get it when they move on. A lot of these positions are very fluid. Mm. They're going to be your prospect and they're going to yeah. open the door for you when you get there. Yeah. And in many cases, they'll coach you on how you can be successful with the new company, which so it, it goes many different directions. It's interesting. And and as you're talking, I, I recorded a podcast earlier this week, which was off the back of a LinkedIn post that I that I wrote on the weekend. And it was about the sale actually doesn't start until after the sale is made, which is a perfect example of what you're you're sharing yes. that. That's if, a good way to put it. And and you've got to you've got to make the sale first, obviously. So you've got to build relationships, rapport, and add value, and so forth, and identify if there's an actual problem that needs to be solved. But as a classic example, if you can build and continue to invest in the relationship post the sale, post the transaction, that's where a lot of the revenue and profitable revenue is going to come from because you'll be top of mind, and you'll be the first organization, the first person that a customer thinks of when it comes to a new problem or an addition to their, to their repertoire. Exactly. And that's why we say get and keep customers that are profit. Yeah. They yeah. make it very simple that you, yeah. you want to get them and you want to keep them and you want to make money on them. Absolutely. Which kind of brings in another equation that we've got to look at, okay, what does a profitable customer actually look like? Because there are organizations that get, that are out there that are saying, you know what, we want to we want to sell our product to anybody that's like breathing. <laughs> so we'll just <laughs> always be closed. But you've got to, as a sales leader and as a, I guess, as an executive, sit back and think, okay, who is our ideal customer? What do they look like? Um, how big are they? How small are they? What's their turnover? Where's their specialties? Where are their problems? And work out should we be, because we can't be all things to all people. So the mm -hmm. the key thing here is. Because people might be listening to this and thinking, okay, I can understand the concept, but if I go back a step, how do I get to that position in the first place where I build the trust, where there's even an openness to consider 
a advisory board, as an example, because it logically makes sense that if we have a level of trust, there's no reason why two organisations can't get together and think about some mutual beneficial relationship movements. But how do we get to that in the first place? <laughs> well, I think you first let let me go through a few principles. You hire the right people, you train them to make sure that they're all aligned. You collaborate and make sure that uh, there's a continued dialogue so that things don't slip off the tracks. Mm. And then you develop the metrics of what you're going to measure. And uh, customer profitability and whether that account is uh, is is working for you is an important one. Because mm. uh, if you end up with a stable full of customers that uh, uh, drive you to be broke, you're not going to be a very sustainable business. Absolutely. So, uh, so you, you, you don't want to do business with those people. No. And uh, you shouldn't be afraid to uh, to tell them that we're not a fit. We're going to yep. move on. We're going to deal with the ones that uh, we're making the money on, and we're providing the service and the solutions to the problems. Because your profitability comes because you provided a solution mm. to a yep. perceived problem or a product that uh, meets a need uh, for that particular company. So in your experience uh, as a senior executive, how how receptive is account managers or sales teams and, and some degree sales leaders to this idea of profitability where they have this, um, I guess, this pressure, whether it be direct pressure or perceived pressure to hit a number each month or each quarter? And they think, well, I've got this customer, there's an opportunity, so there's this push-pull kind of, relationship between I've got to get short-term sales, but I've also got to think about long-term profitable revenue. Um, what's the message from a senior leadership point of view and executive around the importance? Because on the one hand, you might say, you know what, we're tracking behind our numbers this quarter. So we need to actually make the numbers so we can report to the marketplace. But we also want to make sure the business we bring in is profitable because we're going to be digging ourselves a bit of a hole if we don't have some things in place. So so what do you say to a to a sales team when they're behind their numbers, they've got some live prospects in front of them, but potentially it's not going to be profitable business? Would you rather them not sell or would you rather them to sell in the short term to get the number? Well I think I think uh that's a that's a complex answer. A complex <laughs> question. I'm going to give you a complex uh, answer to it. I think that uh if you're going to have a loss leader that's fine as long as you know that that's what you're doing and you have a plan that over time you're going to turn that customer into a profitable customer. Yeah. It makes no sense to enter into any contract or deal where you're going to lose money yeah. uh, over the long term. Now, I'll draw back on my insurance experience. Insurance had a lot of metrics, so it might be easier in that, in that field than some others because yeah. an underwriter knew exactly what the combined ratio was of a particular customer, whether they're making any money on that account or not making any money. Yeah. Uh, they knew that the number of losses that somebody was submitting and uh, could follow those pretty closely. And I know in a lot of companies that just do not have the tools to differentiate between uh, an extremely profitable customer and, and one that's marginal. Yeah. But I would argue they should develop those tools and they should have somebody who uh, who has a pricing uh, uh, responsibility that can look over that and make sure that uh, there is a plan over time for that customer to be a profitable customer. 
because that's how you have you build a, a, a going sustainable business. Yeah, yeah. And customers, and I wouldn't put the onus completely on the salespeople no. because, as you've rightly said, they're driven to make the deal. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and that's what you want them to do. You don't want to scare them away from it. You don't want to uh, make it sound impossible. But you want to have that metric there that uh, uh, allows you to uh, to see the road ahead. Mm. And I always liked I always liked a quote from Alice in Wonderland, where uh, where uh, I think it's the Mad Hatter said that if you, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, that's the same in this process. If you yeah. if you don't know where you're going, you you can end up with a mess. Well, you can, and I think it's a really it's a really good message for salespeople and sales leaders in particular that. You might have a really great product and you've got to believe in your product um, and you've got to believe that that product or that solution will definitely solve a problem in the marketplace. But you've also got to have this fixation, this belief that, you know what, we just don't give this product or sell this product just to anybody. We've got to qualify customers and that's part of the process of, of I guess, creating a culture within the selling organization to make sure that we are out there as much as we possibly can delivering value, profitable revenue so that we don't have to put that, I guess, profit generational plan long-term in place because we've actually gone as a loss leader to most of our customers in the short term, which might give us some good top-line revenue, but underneath it doesn't mean we've got a profitable business. So I'd much rather sales teams think about, well, is this the, is this the product or the solution that best fits this problem? And if it is, then let's hold our ground in terms of the price points because it has to be valuable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the smaller businesses that you mentioned, 10 million or and above, uh, before they reach to become uh, very large companies, they can't afford to uh, give away stuff. They've got, they've got to uh, make sure they're enhancing their revenue and, and their profitability every every day of the week. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the companies, based on your experience, that haven't done this well, and I'm, I'm going to assume that, hey, in your experience, a lot of these companies perhaps are no longer around, or maybe they've changed in terms of structure because they've just had a different um, a different approach. For your from your experience, the companies that don't do this well, uh, well think, what are some of the characteristics? I think I think, I think the companies that uh, don't do this well are, and I'm going, I'm going to use the smaller companies that grow. Yeah. And that you know you got you got the owner, operator, or the founder, who at one point did everything in the business. Uh, take a restaurant; they did they, they they were the cook, they were the waiter, they were the cleanup guy. Then they were successful, and they hired uh, they hired a chef. They uh, they they brought in other people. And uh, then they opened more restaurants and they soon they were a chain of restaurants. And if all that stuff ended up in silos, yeah, without people talking to each other, usually their businesses fail. And there's a huge failure rate in these types of businesses. Mm. Initial success, everybody loves what they're doing, and then all of a sudden they're gone. And I think the, the reason the reason why is because they don't realize, that as they grow, they can't duplicate themselves. They are bringing in people with different talents that don't have the fire in the belly that they had, Yeah. Uh, that aren't the founders, and that if they don't work at it, if they don't have some form of uh, uh, screening to hire the right people, 
to train them well so there is alignment to have them collaborate and talk about yeah. uh, the problems and 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 work on solutions internally and then have the metrics to measure 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 it they're gonna, they're going to have problems mm. it's um it's really logical, isn't it? But it's amazing how many organizations put logic out the window or they focus on what they perceive as logic, but it's actually a silo mentality, not an organizational-wide mentality. And that's where you get some challenges coming into the organization. Well, that's why these concepts are good to to to, uh, to uh, basically uh, give people a little kick in the butt every once in a while to, to think about uh, this revenue generation yeah. and how it works. Absolutely. So you you mentioned before you um, along with Robert Hargrove Hargrove read wrote the book The Great Wheel, but turned it into the revenue the revenue engine. We, we retitled it the Revenue Engine just recently. Yeah. Okay. So what are some of the because you mentioned before we press record that um, you like the analogy and I'd love you to talk about this and we'll get into the the book and some of the key principles that you liken this to a wagon and horses carrying the wagon. Now I often I often talk about in sales trainings the the pioneers, the ones that are the innovators, the ones that take risks like the old west where they're going out to build the railway but they take out the wagons with the horse and cart um and they're the ones going into new frontiers. So from your perspective what's the what's the analogy behind the wagon principle before we jump into some of the key principles of the book? Well that that, that example is an example I use to emphasize alignment. And that uh, if you're all on the same page, you all know where you're going. Uh, you four powerful horses, you're going to pull that wagon where you want to take it. But if you all have different ideas and different concepts of what needs to go and where it needs to go, you start running in different directions to pull the wagon apart. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I've been in a lot of meetings where I thought things were aligned. Everybody sat there, and then when the meeting broke up, people went off and did whatever they wanted to do as if the meeting never occurred. Yeah. And if that happens, you've got to bring it right back yeah. and uh, and refocus and drive that alignment. It's, yeah. it's, it never stops. It's a, it's, a, it's a thing that every time you see people, you have to talk to them about it. You have to mm -hmm. make sure that there's buy-in, that uh, that directional compass is yeah. there of where, where you want to take that business. Yeah, and some might call that um, company purpose. It could be mission, could be vision, but yeah. it's a set yeah. of values, but we're all going that one direction. And as individuals, and I, I liken the, the metaphor to each horse might represent a certain division or it could actually represent a certain person within a division. So you might have multiple different wagons and multiple different horses that – if they are aligned and we all know what the end goal is, we're going in the right direction, then it's more likely that we can achieve more by working together because it's going to be less effort required by the individual horses. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Makes sense. Use, use a dog sled for an analogy. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a leader and uh, yeah. the rest of them follow that leader and that keeps them on track. Yeah. But if one of them starts going the wrong way, they tip the thing over. That's it. That's it. Um, so let's talk about the 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 book, the Revenue Engine. So um, first and foremost, you started by calling it the the Great Wheel, the Great Wheel sales structure. So um, I know it's now the Revenue Engine, but what was the what was the concept or the or the meaning behind that, and what are some of the key macro, if you like, principles? 
Well, well we put together uh, 12 uh, conceptual uh, points that we said are the great, and put them in a wheel type uh, type diagram, mm -hmm. uh, which we call the 12 catalytic, or cats, catalytic conversations uh, that could drive 21st century sales. Mm -hmm. And the it's, first one of those was basic was the basic one we talked about. So you're in sales. Be proud of it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> now that one is an interesting one because I often talk to sales teams and and also non-sales teams, and I'll ask them the question: Who here, who here, a loves to be in sales, right? And some will put their hand up, and others, oh, I'm not quite sure. I sort of fell into it. The other question I ask is: Who who here loves to be sold to? Right, and it's very rare that somebody puts a hand up. Right, so well, who likes to buy? And everybody puts a hand up. Right, so I think the the first concept there, proud to be in sales, starts with um, what does sales mean to you? And you don't have to apologize for being in sales because customers who have an account manager know the role of that account manager is to sell stuff to them. Right, so let's just put that on the table. So don't call yourself a customer success manager or a whatever it is. You're a freaking salesperson. Be proud of it. Right, own it. But, I mean, there's so many euphemisms for salespeople, from managing directors to, uh, yep, account executives to uh, you name it, even chief revenue officer, and be and be proud of it. Yes, yes. So, so that's that's the first. That's the first. And 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 uh, uh, we talk to people about that. You know, this Zig Ziglar's old quote: "Nothing happens till somebody sells something." Uh, that you're in sales. Be proud of it. Get out yeah. there and do it. Yeah. Don't hesitate. <clears throat> and how important is that? Would, would you call that the foundation? And is that why it's the first, the first principle, or the first, I guess, conception? Yeah, it is. If you accept, if you accept the role, and you buy into it, and what comes with it, that's the first step to being successful. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have to make calls. You have to build relationships. You have to uh, know your your stuff, whether it's a product or a concept or yeah. whatever it is you're you're bringing to that marketplace. Yeah. You have to listen. You have to uh, make sure that uh, you're solving the solution. You're bringing solutions that solve the problems of your customers, not trying to solve your own problems. Yeah, absolutely. So first one, be proud to be in sales and own it. And um, if that means being your authentic self as well, that's that's an important thing as well. And don't don't make any excuses or um, don't feel as if you have to justify. You, you're there to sell, but you're there to sell yeah. in terms of what what's a fit for a problem the customer has. And, that, and that's part of the interviewing process too, mm -hmm. is that, uh, you know, when I interviewed people, I concentrated on this aspect of it. Yeah. If you really wanted to be in business, you wanted to be in sales, you understood what the business is, mm -hmm. where the focus is, and that you accept that. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. What's the, well, the, the second one we talk about is uh, is there's only three ways to increase business. You either get more customers, you sell more things to those customers, or you get repeat business. And so you, you've got to be creating customers if you're going to increase revenue. Absolutely. 
which link is linked to the first one, be proud in sales. Because if you're proud to be in sales, if you're proud to be part of that organization, if you're proud to wear the badge and, and you believe that you have a, a solution that will solve a problem in the marketplace, why wouldn't you go and t- talk to people about it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So find and, and more if, customers. If, you're, if, if, if you're proud and that comes through, people are going to listen to you. Mm. Well, there's a credibility that flows through, isn't there? Yep, there's a trust yeah. and credibility that uh, yeah. that it's people catch it right away. Yeah, yeah, and I think some people though can misinterpret pride with. Um, I'm not sure what the what the term is. Um, so you can be proud of what you stand for, but this ha- there has to be this underlying mindset that I'm only going to do business with the right customer. So. What I'm trying to say there is there are some salespeople out there that are so enthusiastic, they'll talk to anybody and they'll try to convince anybody that their product is the right product, irrespective of whether that customer has a need for that product or a problem that needs to be solved. So I think from that perspective, be proud, but also be really conscious of who is your right customer? Where is there a likely fit? Because you're not not every customer is going to be the right customer for you. Well, you've got to know your customer and you've, you've got to have a way to qualify mm. that prospect. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. You could, yeah, yeah you could you could go in and uh, write all kinds of proposals and all kinds of presentations. If it's to the wrong people, yeah, you're going yeah. to be pretty disappointed. You will. You will. Yeah. And so selling selling to, to, to customers, three ways of increasing business, generate new, new brands, right? So that's why a lot of organizations have SDRs, business development executives, all that sort of stuff. Um, then looking after the customers in the first place and selling more. So what other products and services can we mm-hmm. can we bring in? But then delivering so much value that your customers have a level of loyalty that they just want to keep buying from you. They, they'll stay with you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, the th- third one we have is that people buy from people they like. They buy from a trusted advisor. And that's why the relationship building is so, so important. So with that one, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of organizations and there's a lot of people, especially in my business in terms of sales coaching, facilitation, training and stuff like that, that said, you want to be a trusted advisor. Now it's, it's almost thrown out as this big, this big concept. And it's this, almost this unconscious belief that everybody knows what a trusted advisor means. Right. So you can say, are you a trusted advisor? Absolutely. How do you know that? That's where it becomes interesting. So mm-hmm. from your perspective and, and the research you've done, your experience you've you've developed, we know that people buy from those who they know they like and they trust. So our intention is to become a trusted advisor. What are some things that you've experienced or you've you've learned through your journey that will enable us to at least move towards becoming that trusted advisor? Well, I think the term relationship or relationship management uh, links very closely to becoming a trusted advisor. Yeah. Uh, you can't be a trusted advisor unless you understand the person's business that you're working with, what their needs are, what kind of solution they're looking for. Uh, people are not going to trust you if you don't know what you're talking about. Mm. So the first, the first avenue, if you want to achieve that, we call that becoming a master salesperson, is know yeah. that customer's business. Know what it is that your product can do to help that particular customer get what they want. Mm. 
And if you can do that, you are building the relationship and you're building the trust. And they'll come back to you because you're solving a problem and you're doing it uh, because you know what you're doing. I'll also add in there that um, becoming a trust advisor, certainly from my experience and my perspective is as a salesperson, learning when to say no, learning when mm -hmm. to say no to the customer. Well, if, you, if you don't have a solution, uh, don't try to make one up. Mm. That's exactly right. But also if a customer is so fixated on a particular solution that we feel may not be the best solution for the problem they're trying to articulate, mm -hmm. then we'd be doing them a disservice if we didn't say, well, hang on a second. I'm not quite sure that this is the right solution for you and here's why. Right. Because most people, most customers are expecting the salesperson to try to push a sale. If you do something completely different and it becomes a pull effect because you're now consulting with them because you're truly interested in solving a problem for the customer, part of that might be, you know what? I don't think this solution is the best fit for you and here's why. That can also build trusted advisor status in the eyes of the customer. You're right. There's a lot of examples. I, I, I used to work uh, with a guy that... Uh, sold pharmaceutical products yeah, and he would sell them to hospitals. And I asked him one time, I said, what's, what's the greatest success you have when you go to sell in a hospital? He said, well, I don't sell anything. I go in and I do their inventory control and uh, make sure that uh, I understand where they're buying too much, where they're buying too little, what they're, what they're depleting, what they're not. Yeah, And at the end of it, I give them a report. And they said, my God, I didn't know we were wasting so much money on all this product that we didn't need and what have you. They said, will you take this over for us and make sure that we, we have the products we want? And he says, yeah. And then I just make sure I ordered the stuff that uh, I have right. to sell. <laughs> well, that's a classic example of being a yep. trusted advisor, right? Yep, it is. <laughs> Love it. Love it. A cunning plan as... Uh, as um, Baldrick would say in uh, in the Black Adder. Um, what's the fourth one? Uh, the fourth the fourth one is uh, people buy when you differentiate. Yeah. You have to you you have to uh, uh, know your product and you have to know how it fits in and can be differentiated from the competition. Uh, you just can't go in there unless you're selling on price. Uh, make it without differentiating your product from the from others. And we call it, we, we, we suggest people develop a unique selling proposition or a USP. Yeah. Something that, something that is unique to their product that they can integrate into their marketing and uh, it allows them to uh, really begin that process of explaining why they're different. What I'll add to that is um, for many organizations, they might focus too much on trying to identify what makes their product different and that you certainly need to have some sort of product or service differentiation to elicit a, a level of interest in the marketplace to say at least let's have a conversation um, I love your thoughts on this my belief is it goes a little bit deeper than that in terms of what makes our unique value proposition unique is not just the product but it might be the product the solution and the person who you're exactly. going to get as part of the proposition it might be the salesperson. Yeah, that yeah. might be the differentiating factor. Is that yeah. I'm, I, I, I know your business better than anybody else that's going to come in here and try to provide you a solution. Yeah, yeah. 
Because the thing is, I do a lot of work with organizations who sell, for all intents and purposes, a commodity product and mm-hmm. trying to get them to start thinking about what makes your, your solution, your proposition unique. And it's not necessarily the product. Because I say to them, if you understand this, and that is the vast majority of customers are not waking up in the morning looking to go and buy your product. They're not thinking about that, right? They actually don't want your product. So just put that to the side. (laughs) How are we going to try and get them to be interested in talking to you about the solution of the product you have? Well, you have to have something that might pique that customer's interest and it ain't going to be the product, right? So start thinking about what makes you different. And it's all the things you talked about before in terms of be proud to be in sales, have the conversation, maybe ask some of the questions that perhaps your competitors are not asking because your competitors are flogging their product, thinking their product is the best on the marketplace and that will sell in the eyes of the customer. It's like mm-hmm. you have you set with your friend in the pharmaceuticals, become the inventory person where you are trusted and the customer doesn't see you as a salesperson. They see you as a trusted person who's looking after the welfare of their costs. And the exactly. flow effect is you can sell them anything you want, but you have to do that with integrity. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So differentiation, absolute um, important, unique selling proposition. What are some other ones that are that are sort well, of top the, of mind? The next one we have is that all sales are social networking. You got to create a pipeline uh, to to help you find new customers. And uh, and the old days we used to say get them in a funnel and uh, develop them and uh, and bring them through as qualified prospects. Yeah, but uh, that means. Today, you've got to be able to uh, use the tools that exist uh, in social networking and, and others to, uh, to, do, to do that work. And a classic one that I use um, a lot is LinkedIn. And when you think about LinkedIn, there is so much information and so many buyers on, on that platform that your customers are more educated than any other time in history. And mm-hmm. you are not really clear and really careful on what you post on any social platform, that can actually do you a disservice because your customers will know a lot about you before you even come into their world. Exactly. And what's LinkedIn have? A billion people or something? And it's so easy to get information. Yes. So it, it is. is. It's, it's it's overwhelming. Yeah. And uh, and the ease of uh, of getting it it's just amazing. I was speaking to a colleague of mine not long ago, and he was saying that the vast majority of businesses today have already, A, they've done their research on their key suppliers that they'd like to do business with. They've also done research on key people within those suppliers to the point where, in many cases, they've already made a buying decision as to who their preferred supplier is going to be before even engaging with that supplier. And so we've got salespeople on the other side of the fence doing all their research about customers and they're not, they haven't actually spoken to each other yet, but there's all this work that's being done in the background that can either enhance your reputation or diminish your reputation. Mm-hmm. So the key thing there is be visible, be credible, be ethical and be, be based on servitude because it's not about, it's not about what's in it for you. It's about what you can serve to the marketplace that's going to resonate with the marketplace. So it's it's really powerful social networking. In a way, that's scary too, because uh, the uh, that initial research that these customers are doing is all based on on websites and information over the internet, 
Absolutely. And the quality of it is is questionable True. in many ways. True. Um, and you can say things like, well, on Instagram and various other media platforms, uh, what you see there is all filtered. It's all, it's all not necessarily um, correct, 100% correct. But at the end of the day, it creates an impression. So we have to be conscious of the impression exactly. we want to create. And when we end up having that interaction with a customer, that impression that's already been created will either be enhanced or not when you actually start to have the conversation. So if you're there talking a big game on, on LinkedIn, right? Or you're there, you've got this website that's very, very, you know, special, nice, flashy, um, that creates a great impression. If then having a conversation with a customer who's formed an impression of you of a certain type, and you're now talking to them and it becomes very evident very quickly that all of the stuff that you've been posting is actually not you, then very, very quickly your credibility will dive through the floor. Yep. And you talk about the power of um, relationships, customers talk. And so oh, that, exactly. that will that will go like wildfire through, through the industry. <laughs> like earlier we mentioned testimonials and all that. It goes the other way too. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So you got to be, got to be ethical. I mean, somebody told me once that uh, a, a dissatisfied customer will tell ten others. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes, and and that's probably uh, even exacerbated now by the power of social. That if you have a, a fairly decent sized followership, that's more than more than ten. Yep, more that than ten. Well, number six on our list is sell strategically and tactically. And uh, I think a lot of people don't focus on the strategic part of it. Yeah. They're, they're all tactics with no strategy behind them. So we try to emphasize that uh, you have to be consultative, you have to be collaborative, and you have to be strategic. Yeah. And, uh, and your tactics will help you uh, be successful, but the other three have to be there. And unfortunately, there are too many organizations that focus too heavily on the tactics, which tend to be geared around retrofitting their product or their service, not mm -hmm. taking a step back and saying, what's the strategic intent here? What does what does the relationship look like or we want it to look like in 12 months' time or in five years' time? What's the what's is there a reciprocal business possibility here? Right? Do we set up an advisory board with the two CFOs that you know, the tactic can sit underneath that, but strategically we're aligned, which means there's a level of loyalty there both ways. That means it's very hard to shake, which means mm -hmm. that then becomes, that's our unique selling proposition. Well, I think, you know, uh, when I was first in the insurance business, and th this goes back a, a while, but uh, there was a product called Boiler Machinery, which was sold separate to companies. And it was always the lead product to yep. get the nose in the tent. Yeah. And it was always that strategy because it was the easiest one to sell. Yeah. And uh once the trust was built, all the other stuff could come. Yeah. Yeah. And it was almost like it would, you know, if you if you ask for uh too much, you probably weren't going to be very successful. But if you just yep. focused on that one avenue, that's yep. the way you got things going. Yeah. Yeah. So I think combination of both is really important. So strategically and tactically. Um with the time I got left, let's let's just run through at a high level the the other six. Well, What's real quick, seven? we uh, we number seven for us is getting to yes, and so uh, you know make make an incredible offer, make it uh, uh, 
very uh, clear and close it. Ask for the order. It's amazing how many salespeople don't ask for the order. <laughs> Always ask for the order. And, you know, in my experience, sometimes the order might be the next meeting. That's it. And that, uh, that that's what you're going to ask for. I want to come back and see you next week because I, I want to research something. And Yes, yes. And the key thing here is getting to yes, it's getting to the next call to action that sort of that is a positive step forward. It may not necessarily, excuse me, be closing the deal because, as we know, 3% of your customers are going to be ready in the buying cycle at that particular time at any one time, which means 97% are not going to buy right now, which means you have to then think about what's the next logical step. For some of us, it might take five or five or six interactions. For others, it might be 12 or beyond. But stay in the game, but continue to look for what's the next affirmative step to move in the right direction. And still ask them to take that step because it's going to be easier for them to say yes when the time comes. I'm going to skip a couple of these yeah, yeah. Uh, back to them because you just hit on something that uh, uh, I find very important. We call it turning defeat into victory. And uh, in my experience, especially with complex sales, you don't win the first time. No. What you're doing is you're uh, building a relationship and you're collecting data and information on that prospect. And if you get to the third time, your close ratio will probably hit up to 80% mm. because you've developed a relationship with that company. You have so much more information to yeah. put together a better proposal, and you're going to win. And you've also developed coaches mm. within the organization. Because you've been there long enough, they're going to want you to win. Yeah, and and remarkably, a lot of salespeople quit after the first time. That <laughs> is, I've got I've got stats that comes from the National Sales Executive Association that says, and I quote, "It's a couple of years old now." Forty eight percent give up after the first contact. Yep, <laughs> nearly half of them. Yep. Ah, there's no opportunity here. What's the point? <laughs> I've had I've had sales in in the old days. Uh, we used to give all the prospects nobody could sell to the newest guy. And you know what happened? They you would start selling them. these guys. That's it. And uh, it's fascinating. So you never say never. Never. Well, number, number eight on our list is upsell, cross-sell, and follow-up sell. Yeah. And uh, so it's, 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 a, it's a call to be continuous to always be there, always looking for the opportunities and uh, don't settle for, oh, I closed this sale. I'm moving on to something else. Which, which that prospect in. needs to, that prospect that you now have as a customer needs to, needs to be uh, taken care of. Totally. And that relationship needs to be built. Yes. And that's, that's why I keep saying the sale doesn't start until after the sale is made because it's, it, it takes, and I think the last time I saw stats around this, it's, it takes something like six times more to acquire a customer than it does to keep a customer, right? Yep. yep. So all the effort to get a customer, you've got, and I don't, I don't want people to think about this as like a, you've got a cash cow, but the the analogy is you've, you've done all the hard work to get a customer. The customer's purchased a solution from you for a specific reason, and you've got to treat that customer with the utmost respect and continue to serve them not look at them as the next dollar sign, 
because if you do that well, they will naturally come to you for more solutions and more services exactly. and more products. Exactly. Yep. So, and that that fits really well in terms of up up cross and and follow up. So keep doing it. Don't don't ever take your customers for granted. Yep. And the interesting things, like certainly in Australia, I'm sure it's like in the US, there are so many service providers out there, particularly in the consumer marketplace, that offer these fantastic deals for new acquisition of customers. And then you might be a customer that's been with this organization for like five or 10 years, and you're thinking, what do I get in terms of loyalty? I get nothing. So I have to be a good customer. I have to be a brand new customer to get this? Really? Interesting. Well, yeah, in a way, it's reverse. Totally. Because uh, yeah. because that, that that loyalty should be rewarded, not uh, the new guy who. Uh... And yeah. I understand lost leaders. I mean, there's there's a room for that. Yeah. yeah. But you're right. Yeah. Don't lose the focus on the the uh, your bread and butter. No. And I think some organisations, and this is a trap that I don't want salespeople to fall into, that sometimes when we have a customer and we've got a good relationship and we've built some history, sometimes we can take that customer for granted. We can't afford to do that. Yep. Put more focus on that and they will become a more profitable engine for you. The next one on our wheel is get a coach that wants <laughs> you to win. And uh, that coach could be an assistant. It could be uh, uh, somebody who's a user of the product but doesn't do the buying. Uh, can be someone who is related to the uh, the business but not part of it yeah a testimonial type thing but a coach can really help you uh in this process and that that's a that's an advocate you need somebody because sometimes when people hear coaches oh I've got to hire a coach to help me become a better salesperson when what we're not what we're not talking about is that we're talking about identify somebody within the customer's ecosystem who could be a supporter for you and help exactly. you through the process. Be the be the spokesperson for you when you're not there. Be your advocate. Um, share information. Give you insights. Give you maybe inside information. Not that it's um, going to give any, you know, regulatory sort of information away, but anything that's going to help you provide a better level of service and a better level of solution. Exactly. Beautiful. Love it. The uh, now coaching also, uh, which is not part of what uh, is in our wheel, uh, I think is a very powerful thing for salespeople to have. Mm. Uh, and, and a good sales manager plays the coach role more than they do they do the management role and that uh they've been there they they know if the you know i got this problem with this prospect what do you think they're able to coach these people through some of the stuff that might be getting in their way if only if only there were more sales leaders who believed that yes my role is to be a coach rather than be a spreadsheet jockey to say you need to hit the number. What's your what's your gap closure strategy? If if more sales leaders recognize that the the pivotal role they can play is to be like a head coach and to guide and to challenge, they would get much better results. So it's absolute oh, absolute no doubt about it. No oh. doubt about it. Yeah. The the next one we have is focus on the scoreboard. And uh metrics are important. Yeah. And and uh and I think many companies don't have, you know, the metrics that they really need to have. Uh, they met, you know, they measure calls, they measure uh, uh, close ratios, they measure uh, customer contacts and, and things, but uh, they need to expand and go beyond that mm -hmm. to really uh, have the, have the uh, information, the internal information that they yeah. need. 
And I think this might be different for some companies because the the thing that pops up for me when you mention that is as an organization, measure what matters to you. Mm -hmm. So you can't necessarily, like if you're measuring call rates and conversion rates from like cold calls, for example, or you've got an SDR group, you know, what's what's your ratio from calls made to appointments booked? And then you look at what are the ratio of appointments booked to demonstrations or demonstrations to conversions. You've got to look at what what is relevant for your industry, what is relevant for your business, but also know what are the key metrics that will push the the progress forward. Mm-hmm. And so focus your attention on that. But you do need to know your numbers because if you, if you don't know the numbers, it's very hard to manage those numbers. Well, it's just very hard to prove to somebody else too that yeah. uh, that things are going sideways or yeah. uh, are not a, not aligned the way we want them aligned. Absolutely. And the last the last one is become a master salesperson, and that basically just sums this all up. That if you do all of these things and do them well, and make them part of who you are, you will become that master salesperson. It's um it's almost like a formula. And can I ask you did you did you put these in what you consider to be order of importance or order of um, competency development or? We put it, we put it, they're not exactly in uh, uh, a precision order. They're in the order that we thought that uh, would trigger a thought process. Yeah. Uh, as you, as you read through the book. Yeah. Each, each one of these is elaborated on. Uh, and then it's, there's, I'll send you a copy of this if cool. you'd like. Yeah, I'd love to. Love to. Okay. So, I guess the last question for you, Tom, as we as we wrap up, is where can people get hold of this, um, and where can people find out more about you and connect to, connect with you? Where's the best okay. place for them to go? Well, go to go to Masterful Coaching uh, on their website. You'll be able to get this book and download it for free. Yep. And all our contact information is is on that website. Okay. And. Uh, You'll meet Robert Hargrove if you do that too, because yep. uh, he's he's my business partner here, and uh, that's the best way to get a hold of us. Nice, masterfulcoaching.com. Right, love it. Hey, um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a fascinating conversation. If there was one last piece of advice or guidance for either sales teams or sales leaders that you'd like to leave them with as like a parting gift, what would that be? Well, you're in sales. Be proud of it. <laughs> it all begins with that. So. <laughs> I think that's um, that's a great way to end. So B, you're in sales. Wear it like a badge of honor because it is, and I keep saying to people, it's one of the most lucrative but can be one of the most fulfilling and best careers you can ever have. And despite what others are saying, and there's always going to be some that try to denigrate the industry, but it is just be proud. I'm here to, I, I'm here to I, sell I, I would also leave this thought. Sales is one of the few areas where you're going to be evaluated on what you do. Yeah. And uh, if you're bringing in the sales, you're going to get rewarded for it and you're going to be spotted and uh, it's going to go from there. It certainly will. Certainly will. So uh, mate, absolute pleasure having you on the, uh, on the podcast. You enjoy the, uh, the beautiful sunshine in Miami. Okay. Well, thank you. Thanks Tom.
Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.